we'll begin the day with the morning chanting and uh, practice chanting English. <coughs> I believe it's on page eight of the new book or eighteen of, of the old book. Blessed one's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha. All oh, us pay preliminary homage to the Buddha, homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, perfectly enlightened one. All is chant in praise of the Buddha. The Tathagata is the pure one, the perfectly enlightened one. He is impeccable in conduct and understanding, the accomplished one, the knower of the worlds. He trains perfectly those who wish to be trained. He is teacher of gods and humans. He is 
is awake and holy in this world with its gods, demons and kind spirits, its seekers and sages, celestial and human beings. He has by deep insight revealed the truth. He has pointed out the Dhamma, beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. He has explained the spiritual life of complete purity. I chant my praise to the Blessed One. I bow my head to the Blessed One. All is chanting praise of the Dhamma. The Dhamma is well expounded by the apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be experienced individually by the wise. I chant my praise to this teaching. I bow my head to this truth. <coughs> All is chant in praise of the Sangha. They are the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well who have practiced directly, who have practiced insightfully, those who practice with integrity, that is the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. These are the Blessed One's disciples. Such ones are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, Worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. They give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world. I chant my praise to this Sangha. I bow my head to this Sangha. Salutation to the Triple Gem and a passage to arouse urgency. The Punta absolutely pure with ocean-like compassion, possessing the clear sight of wisdom, destroyer of worldly self-corruption, devotedly indeed that Buddha I revere. The teaching of the Lord like a lamp, illuminating the path and its fruit, the deathless, that which is beyond the conditioned world, devotedly indeed, that Hamma I revere, 
The Sangha, the most fertile ground for cultivation. Those who have realized peace, awakened after the accomplished one, noble and wise, all longing abundant, devotedly indeed that Sangha are revere. Salutation should be made to that which is worthy through the power of such good action may all obstacles disappear one knows things as they are has come into this world and he is an arahant a perfectly awakened being purifying the way leading out of delusion calming and directing to perfect peace and leading to enlightenment this way he has made known having heard the teaching we know this birth is dukkha aging is dukkha and death is dukkha sorrow lamentation pain grief and despair are dukkha the disliked is dukkha Separation from the liked is dukkha. Not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. In brief, the five focuses of identity are dukkha. These are as follows. Attachment to form. Attachment to feeling. Attachment to perception. Attachment to formations. Attachment to sense consciousness for the complete understanding of this. The Blessed One in his lifetime frequently instructed his disciples in just this way. In addition, he further instructed form is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent. Formations are impermanent, since consciousness is impermanent. Form is not self, feeling is not self, perception is not self. Formations are not self, since consciousness is not self. All conditions are transient. There is no self in the created or the uncreated. All of us are bound by birth, aging and death, by sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair, bound by dukkha and obstructed by dukkha. Let us all aspire to complete freedom from suffering.
We're using the morning puja, beginning of the day, setting up the um, faith faculty or encouraging the faith faculty, faculty of aspiration. And confidence. Placing our confidence, our trust in the Dhamma, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha or Buddha Dhamma Sangha, to make it more, less about people and things, so much as more about uh, processes, awakening process, Buddha. Mm. Lovely phrase that uh, comes up in one of the chants, uh, awakening, uh, awakening the wise like the sun, awakening the lotus. Awakening, like the sun awakening the lotus, so something has the potential to open and unfold when it's encouraged, warm. The sun doesn't go down and yank a lotus, petals open. <laughs> the sun doesn't really even care whether the lotus opens or not, it just shines and something in us opens up. Mm. Awakening, Buddha. There's almost very, very few instances in the canon where the Buddha ever referred to himself as Buddha. It's not really a person, it's a awakening, what do you say, quality, faculty, completion. Dhamma, apparent here and now. Timeless, not about coming and going, not about progress and decline. What's that? Where's that? Something's not subject to self and our erratic patterns of the self, the controlling and the trying to get it right and the giving up and something that's kind of bigger than that, that we can unfold into. Mm. Sangha, not 
a guru, not an individual, but the mutual uh, aspiration body of human beings. You know, as we as we practice correctly, so it's the humanization of practice, living with these physical forms and these finite identities within the field of Dhamma. So we're not dismissing that, but we are servants of that. We bow to that. It's just to, re- just to resonate some of these images and uh, themes into the mind, which is often struggling to uh, against the pressure of uh, physical feeling, energy going up and down, memories and thoughts. There's another level. There's another beyond this choppy surface. There's a deeper level, wider, wider, and deeper. We come to the uh, this faith quality because it's not something you just must resonate it. Is this meaningful? Why is it meaningful? Why does something touched in us about that? It's not an intellectual uh, proof. Um, you, know, you can't really do it, but you can resonate with that something you can kind of begin to unfold and we realize we're actually a lot bigger than we assume ourselves to be. And that uh, largeness, you could say, that breadth, is that which allows thoughts, feelings, moods and so forth to arise and pass. So the expression, the vision or the right view or the perspective that uh, we incline towards, bear in mind, is that uh, all that manifests is transient, arising, passing, which of course is surely true, (coughs) but not always felt because we tend to snag and uh, be uncertain as to our relationship with thoughts, feelings, energies and sensations and so on. Bodies, our lives, we all know we're going to die. We're born and die and yet what do you do in the middle of it? <laughs> yeah, It's not dismissing life, nor is it hanging on. And one of the th- themes that again is just resonated rather than really explained is beauty, kalyana. Beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. And uh, from the faith mind, this is exactly right. Why well, the puja is in fact, uh, we, we are inclining towards that being beauty candles, flowers, 
often incense in the traditional forms. These are before they became things that people were allergic to. (laughs) 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 So, okay, (laughs) don't need incense (laughs) specifically, but you do need beauty (laughs) and the sense of offering. Mm. Because this is what beauty is. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's a word that can cover a whole range of meanings. And yet spiritual beauty is just this, the beauty of offering. Offering what is quite easy to offer, not about uh, power, wealth, excitement, but just about gentleness, specific, natural beauty. And it's really important to remember this because, uh, you know, a lot of what we can take for Buddhism is about suffering, unattractive, you know, unattractive aspects of the body, sinews, pus and bile, death, decay, suffering. Gee, you know, it sounds really miserable. <laughs> this is something. But this is these aren't faith topics. These are not faith topics. These are topics that you use to pry the mind away from its uh, uh, its embeddedness in what is not really our highest, our highest welfare. You know? And which often the untrained person doesn't know anything more than that, than physical beauty or sensory pleasure and so forth. So that's, that's what they go for because we are creatures who are inclined, our minds actually inclined towards happiness and uh, comfort. And the Buddha is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this, it's, this stuff isn't actually as good as it's made out to be. And now, but we're never going to let go of it, really. You can't let go until you, you get the sense of something better to go to. You know, if you're hanging on to a piece of splintered driftwood in the ocean, you're going to hang on until the boat comes by. <laughs> No matter how rotten and splintered that piece of driftwood is, you say it's better than nothing, and true. But then, when the big boat comes by, you think, "Well, who needs this? I'm going to get in the nice boat." Mm. And one thing about uh, nibbana is, I think it's rather nice. <laughs> Whatever else it is or isn't, it's it's generally good for you. <laughs> Paramang um, means, means uh, <coughs> our fullest welfare. Now you can take paramang, the sense of the ultimate, as more like metaphysical, higher, more profound, more supreme. But that's one way of looking at it. But uh, actually, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that which has got the greatest scope for one's welfare and happiness, one's welfare. Nibbana paramang sukang. Nibbana is the is the supreme, most full, unblemished, uh, you know, untainted, hindrance-free, hangover-free form of happiness, <laughs> of, of ease, of relief. Mm. 
And the practice of the path is beauty. Kalyanamwa. Beauty meaning admirable, lovely, uplifting. There's a particular kind of beauty that's encouraged. Beauty of intention. Mm. Beauty of heart. Beautifully of intention, beautiful of heart. Beginning, beautiful in the beginning, that on its wits, you know, starts, even starts the day when you feel sort of, kind of tousled and fumbling and, you know, ransacking a cupboard for a cup of coffee or something to pull it together not feeling very beautiful at all <laughs> and yet you know okay let's just get it up breathe it in move it around freshen it up sit down make an offering you know open to that uh, in monasteries that's that's the day that's the beginning it's almost a uh, it's not a rule, but it's uh, it's not a level of rules, but it's certainly um, a level of loyalty. Where's one's faith if you're not doing that? What are you here for? Mm. So you, you rise up. Are we here to rise up or not? Are we here to bring forth our beauty or not? Mm. Or are we here just to get snuggled in, you know, embedded? Controlling, holding, having something, getting mine, <laughs> you know, which I'm, I mean, I can acknowledge all those reflexes. And if I sense that, feel that, it's not really that, you know, the objects I can crave or desire or whatever are attractive. But the mind state is not very attractive. The intention is not, you know, it's kind of slumping onto. <laughs> so instead we, you know, you go to intention rather than the object. Mm. Rather than the, and that's so helpful because uh, to communicate you know, the objects aren't always that come into the mind are not always so lovely. Yeah. And it's to encourage that sense of, you know, just coming out of the grip of that. The worry about that, the aversion to it, a sense of despond that one's mind, body, mind is not particularly lovely. Kind of clumsy and dull or, you know, untangled up. Coming out of the grip of that to Buddha. Mm. And 
where's the Buddha? This is a you know your, your Zen moment. Where's Buddha? Who's who knows the Buddha? One of those impossibles, isn't it? Boundless. The intention to praise, the intention to accept, the intention to widen, to be present <coughs> with, that doesn't resist and doesn't hold on. Mm. Would it, that be closer to it? The intention to really be a Tathagata, that which comes completely here, so completely here that it's not buried in it. And the beauty and the truth, the matter, the more completely present you are, the freer you are, not the more embedded you are. Mm. And that recognizing that our sense of it being embedded, bound up, is actually not a final truth. It's not really what's here. It's a, it's uh, all an unconscious manifestation and unconscious activations, sankara, not conscious, not clearly deliberated, but unconscious activations that are clouds swimming, billowing up into the bright sky of the here. We come back to that. The more we get entangled with the clouds, the more cloudy it gets. Coming to Dhamma. Dhamma, uh, that which arises in nature to pass. Sometimes we don't want passing. Death, ending, finish, goodbye. Don't want it. Sometimes we don't want a rising, complicated, too much struggle, too much effort. Oh no, not another one of those. Don't want a rising. Mm. A rising arises, passing passes. What does that? Can we, you know, work on the mind, work on our, our grip to allow a rising to arise? with its unformed, confusing uncertainty, like a newborn baby, kind of sprawling and uh, not clearly here yet, allowing things to arise beautifully, holding it carefully, breathing into it, feeling the presence of the body, listening to the silence, keep creating, framing up, that here and now reference, the mind that has faith, this which at first is so shapeless, so wavery, so nothing special, this can be allowed and in the allowing of that there is something learned, of generosity of heart can be manifested, some clarity will come. Uh, some release will occur. Mm. 
beautiful in the beginning. And staying with it just a little bit longer. Staying open a little bit longer than our desires or aversions. Bearing with it a little bit longer. Patience. Beautiful intention. Equanimity. Beautiful intention. Beautiful in the middle. Allowing things to pass. Passing is not necessarily decline. It's just passing. Even death, which we so, uh, you know, color with failure, tragedy, wrong, shouldn't happen. Oh dear, this is the end of the, you know, what a shame, cut off at the age of 93 or whatever. Yeah, you know. Uh, emotionally, yes, that's that's true. Emotionally, yet it happens, doesn't it? Not just at ninety-three, at two years old, it happens. Some people never even get born, and don't even come out of the womb. They die right there. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, emotionally. That's that's uh, some stuff happens with that. But it goes right ahead and does it anyway, doesn't it? Why do we assume it's... Where's the tragedy? Is it always... You know, we don't know what's on the other side, what happens, where it goes. We see a body ceasing to maintain vitality. Could that passing be passing to something more beautiful, a new learning, uh, a new process, continuing the process? We don't know, but we don't have to inject uh, desperation into that. Passing, letting things pass with gratitude, with blessing it. Mm. Relationships, beings, situations, the passing with sense of gratitude and completion and may that be well. You're really practicing taking that right into the intimacy of one's thoughts and moods, life stations as we move from life station to life station. And grateful, be well. Time to move. It's always time to move. A life is a continual passing. Could that be beautiful rather than the fumbling of uncertainties and disappointments. Mm. Cleanly moving through. Beautiful in the end.
letting things end beautifully. And uh, that awareness of that, awareness of being with the beginnings of things, the arising of that intention, persisting in the middle, letting it change, letting it slip away, letting it move on. What kind of intentions support that? These are truly magnanimous, free from blemish, free from grasping, beautiful. So within one's own intimacy of one's own karmic flow, the possibility to live beautifully. Graciously, modestly. Without demand and without resistance without kind of slumping, without forcing. This is the servant of the Dhamma. So important to um, resonate some of those meanings, because this is the piece that's often missing in our lives, in our culture, which is very much uh, pitched at another level. Mm. I mean, or we kind of take away the faith element from Buddhism, say it's not rational, it's not pragmatic, we're the 21st century, you know, and it's just socio-cultural phenomenon. <laughs> just kind of eviscerated the transcendent. This isn't about superstition or belief. This is about touching into an aspect of awareness that is a given, the sacred. And serving. Even the Buddha himself that being, uh, after his awakening, uh, deciding to teach, and then his, one of his further recollections was, one lives miserably if one has no one to serve, no one to venerate. One lives miserably. But I have no teacher. Who can I venerate? Who can I revere? I see no one has really, you know, given me these qualities, and yet I shall revere and venerate the Dhamma. And that was his service for the next 50 years to the 
moment when the life force moved on. All the arisings, the turmoils, the Sangha life, the Buddha awakening to all that, never flinching, never giving up, never saying, you guys make me sick. <laughs> you load of dummies after all I taught you, why don't you get it together? <laughs> Just, uh, no, this is unskillful, <laughs> brother, this is unskillful, sister. Surely, <laughs> just that beautiful intention. This is a kind of model to, to resonate with. So we really, you know, attune to the great, the grandeur and the beauty of the Buddha in our practice. <laughs> 